I'm Chris Epting, and this is In the Pipeline, a Huntington Beach podcast. June of this year marks the 40th anniversary that Robin Samso was abducted from Huntington Beach. Her slaying quickly became one of the most notorious murder cases in Orange County history. The serial killer that was arrested has been three times tried and convicted for her death. Samso was abducted on June 20th, 1979, as she rode a borrowed bicycle from her neighborhood in Huntington Beach to ballet practice. Her body was found about 12 days later, dumped off Santa Anita Canyon Road. The person convicted, whose name I promised the family I would never repeat out of respect for them, was sentenced to death in California in 2010 for five murders committed in the state between 1977 and 1979. In 2013, the killer received an additional sentence of 25 years to life after pleading guilty to two homicides committed in New York in 1971 and 1977. His true victim count remains unknown and, in all likelihood, is much higher. Today, he remains on death row. Interestingly, five years before he abducted Robin Samso, the killer was arrested for violating parole when he picked up a 13-year-old girl here in Huntington Beach at Balsa Chica State Beach. As Robin's brother, Robert, described it to me several years ago before he tragically passed away, quote, Our condo was over by Adams in Alabama. Robin was supposed to be home by 3 p.m. that day, and she was always very punctual. By 3.30, I told my aunt, who lived with us, that I was very concerned. Robin was going to ride her bike back from a friend's house to pick up a bag with her gymnastic equipment in it before riding her bike to a class she took up at Seacliff Village. I called the police, and they told me we had to wait 24 hours before somebody could technically be considered missing, but I must have sounded pretty scared when I called back a half hour later, because they jumped right on it." As did Robert, 14 years old at the time, and his friends, who got on their bikes and rode over to 14th and Olive Avenue, where Robin had been visiting a friend. Desperately, they searched back alleys, retracing all of the possible routes she may have taken. But nothing. Twelve days later, 12-year-old Robin's body was found in the Angeles National Forest. She had been brutally murdered. When I first spoke with Robert, he recounted what it was like for him, 40 years ago. Quote, At that time, in June 1979, there were nine of us living in that condo, including me, my mom, my brother, sister, and aunt, her boyfriend, and two kids. Within a week of Robin's disappearance, before they even found her, that household imploded. Unquote. He said his aunt took his mom's car and money and was gone. He told me, Our folks were already divorced. And when my dad came back from Arizona, my brother ended up going back home to live with him. In short, it went from a crazy household of nine down to just my mom and me in a couple of days, all before they even found Robin. The Samso household was further torn apart when Robert went to live with grandparents in Georgia and his mom, Marianne, moved to Long Beach. Eventually, Robert came back to California, but things were never the same. 
For his mom, they've never even begun to return to normal. This destroyed her, Robert told me. To this day, she just remains in another world. My dad, who passed away a few years ago, was affected in a different way. He never really dealt with things. He avoided the trials and never spoke about anything. But my mom lives with every second of it every day. It ruined her, unquote. Robert and his lovely wife, Charlie, raised four daughters and one son with an extra careful eye, fully aware of what could happen in one chilling second. It was such a different world back then, Robert told me. As kids in Huntington Beach, we could leave at 6 a.m. and be home at 8 p.m. and nobody batted an eye. Ride our bikes to Sunset Beach, no big deal. We were at the beach every day enjoying ourselves. Today, it's hard for me to imagine any 12-year-old girl riding all over the city like Robin and the rest of us did back then. He also remembers how the city changed after Robin's disappearance. Quote, all of a sudden, parents became more aware. From that point on, they always knew where their kids were, what they were doing, and who they were with. I think it even affected the police, many of whom I'm still friends with from back then. They never wanted this to happen in the city again, and so they became more aware of things as well. Everything tightened up. Robert always visited Huntington Beach frequently to pay respects at the grave of his younger sister at Good Shepherd Cemetery, where she was laid to rest near a magnolia, her favorite kind of tree. She was just an amazing girl, Robert told me. She stuck up for everybody, and she hated bullying. She was very athletic and very smart, and if she was your friend, she was there till the end. She was just so loyal and loving, and I never want people to forget that. I will never stop missing my sister or wondering what her life would have been like, and I never want her to be forgotten. Back in 2014, I helped lead an effort to have a plaque for Robin placed at the Huntington Beach Pier. Recently, another plaque was placed here in town at Dwyer Middle School next to a tree that was planted in Robin's honor just after the tragedy occurred. That effort was led by 6th grade teacher Amy Rasmussen, whose 6th graders were touched by the story of their former classmate at Dwyer. Forty years on, the story still remains an important one in Huntington Beach. For this podcast, I spoke with Robin's sister, Turan. She shared memories of Huntington Beach, her sister Robin, and how the 40 years have affected her. Turan, it's, it's 40 years now that this, that this tragedy happened. I know it never leaves your mind. Um, but do the anniversaries sort of make it even more um, vivid? Do, 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 do these sort of, you know, time markers bring it back uh, in more vivid detail for you? Um, I'm not sure if it's... I, I can't believe it's been 40 years already because it seems like yesterday that it happened. But I, I do know that I live with it every day. My family lives with it every day. Um, they're remembered by people such as yourself that make her memory stay alive. And we are so appreciative of that. I know that, um, there's people that ask about our story and, and I gladly tell it. And I think people are amazed sometimes that you can tell it. And with a smile on your face, because it was such a, heart-wrenching experience that, you know, nobody should ever have to go through. But I have so many good memories of Robin and, and Robert that, you know, Robert was such a instrumental 
uh, key factor in keeping her memory alive as well, being a speaker for our family. Um, but it, it doesn't, I don't think it ever gets easier. I think we live with it and that we're more blessed because we're able to share with people and, and, um, and just know that other people have been affected as well as gotten something good out of it. If you can say that. Do you well, know what I mean by that? Yeah, it's interesting because when you say that, when I first spoke to Robert, your brother, when this, uh, when I first approached your family about it's about five years ago now, um, right. that was really his his a lot of his um, uh, point of view was that if something good can come from something, you know, if it, if there was learning that could have happened, if there was something positive, he was very much into that that idea too and really embraced that thing where, look, this tragedy happened. Now, what what can we do um, as, a, as a family, as a community to make sure it doesn't happen again and to create awareness and all those things? And I mean, that happened. I mean, it really did. I remember speaking to the detectives at the, uh, the plaque unveiling that we had uh, back in 2014, and the detectives were saying, that that life really did change, not just in Huntington Beach, but all over the country, with uh, with policies and, and attitudes and things about how quickly the law needed to react after these kinds of disappearances. I mean, do you remember, Trent? If you take us back forty years, I mean, Huntington Beach was very different. Obviously, a lot of places were very different forty years ago. But if you take us back to like just before that day, that tragic day, what was it like for your family here? I mean, what's what was your life like in Huntington Beach? I would say like a typical family that, you know, I mean, we had a single mom who worked hard for us, um, to provide for us. And there were four kids, Robert, Robin, myself, and my brother, Tim. And we went to school. We lived in Huntington beach and it was a smaller community and we could walk to the beach and, you know, we thought life was grand. You know, we hung out with the people in our neighborhood. Everybody knew everybody. You can leave your door unlocked. You know, it, it was it was great. I mean, were we the cleavers? No. But we sure thought we were, you know, to our standards and we we just had a you know, a, a good life. You, and what, Yeah, go, go ahead, ahead. I'm, sorry. Chris, I'm sorry. No, you please. No, I was just I was just gonna say that, you know, uh, it just I I can vividly remember you know, nights running around the neighborhood with the kids and, you know, go from, you know, house to house. And, and fortunately, uh, I still keep in touch with some of the people from the old neighborhood and Mm -hmm. it's amazing, but, you know, it has definitely, definitely changed everybody's life. I remember thinking too that even the circumstances that day, you know, Robin had, you know, she was 13 years old, had rode her bike to the beach, you know, alone. That was no big deal. Was going to a dance class after that. That was the plan. And uh, it, you really can't even imagine that today. We're riding that kind of these distances, you know, a few miles here and there. But it's hard to imagine um, that still going on. I mean, a lot of that really was sort of robbed um, with the crime that took place. Well, after that happened, I was 17 when that happened, and even at 17, I wasn't allowed to go outside after dark by myself, you know, I, you know, my mom had to know our every move for my brothers and myself, you know, and a lot with our friends, they weren't allowed to go outside, so 
life as we knew just a few days prior had changed drastically, you know, and everybody was, you know, so fearful and, and, you know, you start questioning everybody's motives and, you know, who are they, you know, are they new in the neighborhood, you know, what could they do? And it's just crazy. And because now, nowadays, it's like, there's no sense of that freedom that we had as, you know, at that time. Like was, our kids, you know. Our yeah, kids there was a lot of lost innocence, been, absolutely. Real, I think lost innocence absolutely. becomes the theme with this whole thing, is, is so much was stripped away. Um, look, there were lots of crimes, obviously, but this one in particular, um, just it, it captivated people and it opened people's eyes in a way that I think where you really had to start being careful. The world was changing. I mean, it really was. Yes, and our kids grew up knowing Robin as if she were here. Mm-hmm. Our our kids knew of her memories and knew of who she was and how she touched other people's lives and how, you know, people came together for her. In fact, the other day I was just expressing to someone how, you know, every police officer in Huntington Beach came to her funeral, mm-hmm. you know, and how, you know, I don't remember anybody taking advantage, you know, of them being away from the crime scene, so to speak, you know, that it was, they allowed everybody to go and people showed up from everywhere. And it it was just, it was just crazy. I mean, I don't remember a lot about the funeral, but I do remember seeing a lot of police officers, a lot of support, um, you know, it, it it definitely changed a lot of lives, and especially ours. Trina, how do you, for those that didn't know Robin, and I'll hear occasionally someone will write me and say, hey, I went to school with Robin, and she was amazing, and she was, you know, very smart. And they, they, they recount what they uh, remember and recall about her. What, what do you remember? For, for those that didn't know Robin, how would you describe her to people? Um. Again, I have another short story to uh, share. I was walking with one of my coworkers, and we happened to be talking about my sister. And um, I said, the one vivid memory that I have is, and well, before before Huntington Beach, we lived in Buena Park, and we lived next to a church. And I remember on Sunday mornings how Robin would wake me up and say, "Come on, Teran, we got to go to church." I was like, "Oh, I don't feel like it." She's like, come on, God says we have to go to church. You have to take me. God said so. And it's just, you know, it's just so amazing to me how young she was at that time. And she was probably eight or nine years old. And how God-loving and God-fearing she was even at such a young age. And how she just loved to help people and just to be the best person she could be. And it was just, it showed in the people that she met that got to meet her and know her. And people still talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, she had just such a loving, pure spirit. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure people say, oh, you have to say that that's your sister. No, I don't. She really was that. And I think that's why it's so easy for people to remember her and, to share her story because she really had a true pure heart and you know 
I miss her. Trey, when you think about that day, I mean, I remember Robert telling me just how chaotic it was. Do, do you think about the day much, or is it something you've sort of um, packed away? He, I remember uh, your brother telling me he he thought about the day a lot, and he ran the minutes through his mind over and over and over and, and, and couldn't get out of his head. Is it something you think about, or, or no? No, I don't really so much on that day. I, I wasn't living at home. Um, on that day, I did move back home shortly thereafter, but um, I play back a lot of memories for a few days before that, that I was at home, and we were running up and down the stairs laughing, and um, again, I was 17, and she was 12, and you know, we were doing normal things that sisters do, and we were laughing about how I wanted to lose 10 pounds, and she wanted to gain 10 pounds, and <laughs> you know, what we were going to do and just, you know, just laughing and joking. And, you know, she loved to play in my mom's makeup and well, she loved my mom to pieces anyway. Um, she was definitely a mama's girl, but you know, it's, it's just a lot of memories go through my head and I try to think about now more that, if she was here, the things that we would be doing, how much fun we'd have. And, mm-hmm. But now I try not to dwell on the, on that particular time too much because I'd rather think of her and smile than think of her and cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, your family went through so much after that. This, this wasn't a simple process. This was a, a terribly protracted, long process with with mistrials and all these sorts of things. I can't imagine the challenges to a family, and I know that there 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 were a lot of um, dysfunctions that were caused by this. I don't know how that, how it wouldn't have been that way. I mean, I can't imagine any family going through this and not suffering, you know, to some degree and and having things change. What was that like for you? I mean, through through the eighties and then into the nineties, and this thing went on for a long time afterwards. Uh, for me, I chose to deal with it differently. Um, I left California for a while mm-hmm. just because it was so hard. Um, I knew that my brothers were there for my mom. And, you know, I mean, you look back and you think about what you could have done differently. But, of course, you know, we don't have that window of, of opportunity to go back in time because otherwise this would have never happened. But... Um, dysfunction, yes, definitely. Um, I don't know how, you can't say how you would deal with it until you actually go through it yourself. Mm -hmm. I do know that I spoke to another one of Rodney's, uh, uh, other victims and from New York. And we shared a similar story about the dysfunction in our family and how, Basically, her life mirrored my life, and so it's it's kind of ironic that how we're affected the same way, but at different times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever get over it? Absolutely not. Um, do you learn to deal with it? You have to, but some people don't. Um. As everybody knows, my mom had a really hard time, and she probably always will. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my brother Tim deals with it in a different way. Robert, you know, he dealt with it on speaking for us and being involved and um, he was a warrior. I mean, he I I was so impressed with um, not just his. It was amazing. I remember the day of the plaque unveiling when all of us, you, your mom, myself, your brothers, my son was there. We sat at, at Dwyer right by the tree that, that Robin's uh, co-students planted in honor of her back in 1979. And I remember Robert and Tim as well talking about the court system. And they had become almost like expert trial lawyers and and scientists in terms of evidence just by absorbing what had gone on. And I, it was really incredible how much they had immersed themselves in the process just so they could know what they were up against and, and what they were fighting for. And it was, it was really incredible, um, to, to, you know, again, that they had just absorbed all of this around them because it's what they, it was information they had to, to know in order to fight the fight. Yeah, that is, that's true, Chris. Um, they really did. The first trial, I was subpoenaed, and I think that was the beginning of my leaving um, I didn't want to be in the courtroom with him. I didn't want to have to really, I don't know if deal with it is the word. Um, it, you know, Robin and I are, she's the youngest, I'm the oldest, and it was always the girls together and the mm-hmm. boys together, but yet Robin and Robert are close in age. Um, so the second trial, they were there. And then the third trial, all of us were there. And I do remember, like, my brother, Tim and Robert as well, when it got to the point of like, um, Robin's condition of where she was, I know my brother was, they knew like every point and he was like, take mom out of here. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go. He's like, no, trust me. You want to go. He's like, take mom out of here. So, you know, they, they have, you know, and they, well, Tim still does, you know, they, they know like every point and they did have to learn like what what meant what and how we needed to deal with things and how we needed to be prepared for things so I I do thank them very much for being that involved to where they understood the system a whole lot more than my mom and I Mm mm-hmm when you look at Huntington Beach today, I, I really think it's nice that, you know, there's the plaque right next to the pier that honors Rob. And, and then recently over at Dwyer, as you're aware, uh, sixth grade teacher there, Amy Rasmussen, had her students get together and replace the marker by the tree, which is another, you know, was an incredible event for those of us that were there. It was really powerful to watch. Sixth grade kids embrace the spirit of your sister and talk about their feelings and why they did what they did in terms of honoring her. And I just think it's a it's a testament to the spirit of Rob and that Huntington Beach will will always be um, uh, it'll always be a priority here to remember Robin and to celebrate her and to, you know, really to use the whole thing as an example of how to protect kids, how to look after kids and, and what we can learn. And it's uh, I know it's not a legacy anybody in your family wanted, but it's but it's a powerful one, nevertheless. And I think that for, for everybody in Huntington Beach, you know, Robin, you know, lives on in a very meaningful way. And we are most thankful and grateful to everybody who has had a part in making sure Robin is remembered and that she's thought of in a positive light 
and that she can help others even though she's not here because she always wanted to be famous and unfortunately I'm sure this is not the way any of us meant it to be but she's she's seen and she's seen daily and her story is heard regularly and to me I, I'm most grateful. I know my family is, and we have people like you that we've been blessed to meet and know and become a friend with, and we appreciate you. Um, you have done so much to always remember that she's not forgotten. Um, Miss Amy, definitely, with her students, that was awesome, and that is one of our... Um, I recently got married, and my husband and I are planning a trip out there, and, you know, we want to make sure that we get to go there and see everything that's been done. And, you know, it's it's just great that the people still remember her and talk about her and smile when they talk about her, as well as pride for the ones that knew her and are saddened by that. I know we know some of her older friends um, from school that, named their babies after Robin and mm-hmm. shared their stories with their kids. And, you know, and, and it just touches my heart that she just lives on, that Robin lives on. And as my brother said, you know, if we can just help one person through something like this or preventing something like this, that's, that's a great thing. Next time you're by the head of the pier or by Dwyer Middle School, I encourage you to take a moment to look at the plaques honoring Robin Samso. It's how we remember. It's how we never forget. I'm Chris Epting. Thank you for listening.